Welcome to this special edition of Checking the Gate, a film and religion podcast, a show where every month we look at a different TV show and movie and evaluate it for its religious content. Uh, today we have a special opinion piece, which I'm going to be uh, presenting in light of the upcoming San Diego Comic-Con 2015. Uh, I have something to say about some events that happen outside the convention, which deeply concern me. And this is Christians protesting the Comic-Con. I'm Robert Wright Stasco, and I'll be leading you through this. But I asked my co-host, Mike, what he thought about protesting at Comic-Con. I'm sick of Christians protesting about anything. Christians <laughs> protesting is anathema to what Christ said. Exactly! <laughs> All right, Comic-Con... Let me think of how to put this diplomatically. I disagree with it, but I know why, for instance, the Westboro Baptist Church, you know, those crazies. I know why they're at funerals for gay actors or, you know, whatever. I, yeah. It's, well, they show up at, at soldiers' they, funerals. They show up for anything now. Yeah. But, like, but, okay, that yeah. aside, but my point is, what does anybody find objectionable about Comic-Con? Comic-Con's all about fun stuff. Right. I think their point is they're paying too much attention to the fantasy world and comic books and movies and not spending enough time reading their Bible. It's four days a year. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> four and a half, you count, preview night. Well, I'm spending three days in Chicago next week at the G-Fest. Oh, that's next week? That's next week. For some reason, I thought that happened already. Okay. No, no we're, we're going up next week. We're okay. going to have a good time. Oh, just in time for the video game. Right. <laughs> they're, well, they're going to have stuff there. They're going to talk about the comic books, uh, the one comic book series that just ended. They're going to have... Godzilla in hell? Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. <laughs> that one's going to be awesome. I can't wait. But they just finished up Godzilla Rulers of the Earth. That just finished its run. So I'm glad they have something else to kind of tide us over until they figure out something else. But, yeah, I mean, we're going to have a good time, you know? And there's nothing wrong with having fun. I mean, the Bible tells us that we should cosplay. The, it's in the Bible. It, Please continue. Uh, it says, well, I, I get more into this in, in my little opinion piece. But basically, Paul says, put on Christ, dress up as he says imitate me as i imitate christ so are you going to g-fest dressed as buddy christ no you should no no there or, was there was uh are, are you going as raymond burr <laughs> i have a slusho t-shirt so i was gonna go as like <laughs> the, the cloverfield the, the guy the first guy who gets eaten in cloverfield <laughs> yeah i can get behind that so as you will see mike and i had very similar feelings on this subject so without further ado, I present to you, fellow Christians, please burn your protest signs, a response to San Diego Comic-Con protesting. San Diego Comic-Con 2015 is right around the corner. I'm expecting that this year, just like the last several years, there will be some Christians with poorly thought-out slogans slapped onto protest signs with big bull horns causing brouhaha for comic book fans, cosplayers, and anyone else at the convention trying to have an enjoyable week. I question these protesters. Is this the most effective way to get your message across? More to the point, is cosplaying and other such activities even worth protesting? 
This blog post will answer these questions, and in the process, I suggest that we, as Christians, can learn from cosplayers how we can live out some important illustrations in the Bible that will help us to follow Jesus Christ more effectively, and therefore become more Christ-like ourselves. But first, let's take a look at some of the protests that have already happened at the SDCC. The first major protest that I found in terms of press coverage was the 2010 SDCC. The Westboro Baptist Church had sent just a few people, but they did quadruple duty by holding as many as four signs each. Uh, all of these had the standard hate-mongering slogans that Fred Phelps Church usually employs at U.S. soldiers' funerals like God hates you, God hates fags, and other deplorable sayings. They stated that their main objection was that being a comic book fan was akin to idolatry. But all those other hate issues got muddled up into that main message that they were trying to portray as well. According to several accounts uh, that I could find online, these protesters were severely outnumbered by the many comic book fans who came prepared with their own signs, which they hastily cobbled together. And I don't blame them for that for that hurriedness. Uh, their main concern was probably getting their costumes ready in time to stand in line all day for Hall H. But uh, some were actually pretty clever, like uh, Galactus is nigh and God hates Jedi brandished by a Star Trek cosplayer. Uh, depending on which account you read, the, the reactions were either good-natured with a few exceptions or pretty heated. Since that year, you can search the internet to find articles where other conservative Christian groups try to get in on the game. It seems to be a different group each year. In 2013, an atheist named Brian organized his own protest with signs as fancy as conservatives were. But Brian makes a good point when he says atheists don't show up to a church and try to convince people that their story is nothing more than a story. Still, that did not dissuade other protesters from showing up last year to the 2014 Comic-Con, yelling at people for not only idolatry, but slinging sexist and homophobic slurs out into the crowd. But Bleeding Cool News did do a well-balanced report on two protesters at last year's SDCC who were not so polarized, and both seemed to be saying things that were not antagonistic. Uh, Joe Gaona was there not to protest, but to try to spread the gospel. Shannon Dove was there to spread awareness for an LGBTQ rights advocates group called Canvas for a Cause, and both were Christian. Yet because of the tactics used, mainly signs and bullhorns, I seriously doubt that any kind of mutual understanding or even a simple understanding of the opposing viewpoint was reached. While the main focus here is on the effectiveness of protesting, something has to be said about the underlying issue at the heart of these protests, and it really is the gay rights issue. As you can see from the history of the SDCC protests, it tends to surface no matter what the protesters might actually be trying to say. The Christian church in America is right now polarized over this matter. Many church denominations have split up or formed new denominations because people cannot agree. This isn't the first time the church has splintered over disagreements. In American history, the issue of slavery caused many fractures in the 1800s in the church, as well as uh, speaking in tongues. Uh, this is the God-gifted ability to speak in another language. But the last time an issue caused this kind of protest 
was the abortion debate. This is still a hot topic, but not as much as it was 15 to 20 years ago. I'm going to tell you a story now about this. I, I recently graduated from a Christian university, and I would commute once a week to attend my classes while I was a student there. And every now and again on my drive to school, I would spy one or two, sometimes half a dozen people with protest signs in front of the Planned Parenthood across the street from the main campus. I didn't think much of it at first, until I started pondering, why did Planned Parenthood decide to set up shop across the street from a Christian school? Now please understand, I really love this university. They taught very good theology that was grounded in scripture without adding conservative or fundamentalist dogma to it. It gave me very practical insights into demonstrating the love of Christ in a real way while doing ministry for his church. They even had a, a seminar where two prominent gay Christian theologians debated the issue of gay marriage in the church. This is a Christ-centered, biblically-based, yet forward-thinking school. But that question still ate away at me. Why did Planned Parenthood decide to set up shop across the street from this school? In its student code of conduct, the university states that sexual activity is solely reserved for the marriage. While this is certainly an ideal, it is more often nowadays not the reality. I started to imagine a young woman and a young man from a church background starting classes at the school, then meeting one another and falling in love. Uh, they give in to that love and find out a baby's on the way, then to avoid anger or embarrassment from their conservative families or even expulsion from the school, they decide to visit the Planned Parenthood across the street. Again, in my imagination, I thought that they would probably sneak in the back entrance while their parents were busy toting protest signs and yelling at the cars on the street through their bullhorn. Instead of seeking love and forgiveness, knowing they would probably find none, the students compound their guilt by aborting their unborn child. So whether or not you agree with abortion or condemn it, the fact remains that this is a hard decision to live with with the pain of loss and regret, always thinking what if. And this is when I started thinking, there must be a better way than protesting. So whether the issue is abortion, gay rights, or dressing up like a superhero, the proper way of disagreeing or debating is not with signs and bullhorns. The signs serve as a barrier between the protester and the people who are being protested against. The bullhorn magnifies what the protester is saying while drowning out the response of everyone else. It is, in effect, saying, I don't care what you have to say. I am here to tell you that you are wrong. As I said earlier, it doesn't matter if you are actually saying something reasonable. Once you don the posture of a protester, the nonverbal communication trumps any verbal communication. And because of the first example that was given at the SDCC by the Westboro Baptists, all that is communicated then is hate. So, what is the better way? How do we communicate the truth of Jesus if signs and bullhorns produce the opposite result of that which we are seeking? Our prime example should be that of Jesus. Matthew 4.17 tells us that after Jesus' temptation in the wilderness and his return to Galilee, that from that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now most of us get the mental image, probably from too many bad Jesus movies, that he's standing on the corner or walking down the street, shouting this randomly to passing onlookers. 
I don't think this is the case. In the context of the whole chapter, Matthew seems to be giving us a summary of Jesus' overall message. In movie terms, you could say that this verse sets up the second act, letting us know what is going to happen. Immediately after verse 417, we see Jesus talking to Peter and Andrew, asking them to follow him. Then verse 23 says, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Jesus is not some crazed street preacher like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in Stephen King's The Stand. Here is a man engaging with individuals, teaching in the appropriate places, and doing so with the power and authority to back up his words through miraculous healing. Therefore, if Jesus is our prime example, we should be more like him, forming relationships with people instead of rallying against them, teaching the good news one-on-one rather than blaring it through a bullhorn. So, if our goal is being more like Jesus, how do we achieve that end? What is the process we should take to be like Jesus? The answer, which both Christian theologians and the Bible both agree, is through cosplay. And like my co-host Mike, you're probably saying to yourself, hold on a minute. What do you mean the Bible says we should cosplay in order to be more like Jesus? Well, C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton, two prominent Christian theologians, as well as the Apostle Paul, attest to this. There are very practical lessons for Christians to learn through the physical and spiritual act of cosplay. By engaging our imaginations and making a little bit of fantasy a reality, we can learn how to make Christ's love a reality in this world as well. So even though the term cosplay may be a recent invention, C.S. Lewis spends a whole chapter entitled Let's Pretend of his famous book, Mere Christianity, encouraging us to do just that. He starts off by asking the reader to think deeply about a simple prayer Christians use, which begins, Our Father. With those two simple words, we put ourselves in place of his son, essentially cosplaying as the child of God. Here's what Lewis says. Now, in the moment you realize, here I am, dressing up as Christ, it is extremely likely that you will see at once some way in which, at that very moment, the pretense could be made less of a pretense and more of a reality. You will find several things going on in your mind which should not be going on there if you're really a son of God. Well, stop them. Or you may realize that, instead of saying your prayers, you ought to be downstairs writing a letter or helping your wife to wash up. Well, go and do it. You see what is happening? The Christ himself, the Son of God, who is man, just like you, and God, just like his Father, is actually at your side and is already at that moment beginning to turn your pretense into a reality. So here we see in this passage by Lewis what happens when we dress up as Christ. Anyone who has cosplayed understands this process very well. Lewis, of course, is talking about a spiritual costuming, but when we cosplay physically, much of the same process happens. It has to be said that cosplay is a serious endeavor, way beyond a simple hobby like building models or collecting coins, and seriously more intense than merely putting on a store-bought costume for Halloween. A conjunction of the words costume player Cosplay is a noun describing the activity of assuming the costume and personality of a character. 
The word is also a verb, like, do you cosplay? The cosplayer takes great pride in manufacturing and assembling their own costume. Of course, for more intricate builds, like the Stormtroopers and the charity group, the 501st, expert cosplayers handcraft special elements to help with others' costumes. In the many sci-fi, comic book, and movie conventions that happen all around the world, cosplay contests are judged based not only on the accuracy of a costume, but in the ability of the cosplayer to inhabit the character in which they are dressing up as. For example, in 2013, my kids and I attended the Akron Comic Con. Uh, my oldest and youngest sons dressed up like playable characters from the video game Team Fortress 2. I helped them shop for the elements they needed at various second-hand stores and dollar shops. And at the same time, I was putting the finishing touches on my fourth Doctor outfit from the seminal sci-fi show Doctor Who. Fans of the show will recognize that this regeneration of the Doctor had a very long and distinctively covered scarf, which took my sister three and a half years to knit together for me. And I love her very much for it. But at this convention, I put on the Doctor, much in the same way that Lewis says we should put on Christ. I adopted his voice and mannerisms as much as I could, even offering people real imported jelly babies. In a way, I became a little more like him. And going through this process, cosplaying as a doctor, it really helped me to cosplay as Jesus. Because I've seen every episode of Doctor Who, yes, all 813, I was able to really imagine myself as the doctor. I imagined what it would be like to be the cleverest being in the room, to travel through time and space, defeating evil with dry wit and a toothy smile. I thought of the story, The Genesis of the Daleks, the episode where he had the chance to wipe out the greatest evil in the universe by simply touching two wires together and blowing them up, but refusing to do it because it was not his place to play God. What about all of the races that ended their fighting and joined together as allies to fight a common foe, he asked himself. That's the kind of person I want to be. Jesus Christ is also the kind of person I want to be. He suffered a similar dilemma in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed to his father, knowing that he would be betrayed by a close friend, arrested, then physically and mentally abused, and at last would be tortured to death while spiritually suffering the wrath of God for the sins of all humanity. Matthew twenty six thirty nine says, He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He faced a more awful choice on the doctor to save a whole race at a tremendous personal cost or to let them be destroyed by their own devices. As much as I admire the doctor, I love Jesus for the choice that he made to follow his father's will and save us all. Now, I can identify with the doctor and I can identify with Jesus because I'm familiar with their stories. I've mentioned earlier that I've seen every single episode of Doctor Who and much like reading the entire Bible, this is no small feat. The Bible is best read in small bits, every day a little more in order to ponder and internalize the wisdom, the commands, the stories, and the lessons it has to offer us. Then one can go back and maybe read a whole book in one sitting to gather the context and reach a greater understanding. In the same way, I took in Doctor Who a little at a time. Over the course of nearly two and a half years, I watched one 25-minute episode per day, about five or six days a week. 
Even the lost episodes, I caught the excellent loose cannon reconstructions on YouTube. Now, I can already hear some people chiding me. You call yourself a Christian? You should be reading your Bible every day instead of spending so much time on that nonsense. I wholeheartedly disagree, at least with the last part of that statement. I agree, and I do, read my Bible every day. But I watch science fiction too. Understanding the mythology and continuity of stories like Doctor Who, Star Trek, and Star Wars actually helps me understand the Bible better. G.K. Chesterton explains this in his book, Orthodoxy. Now, this book is Chesterton's follow-up to Heretics, a book which criticizes the philosophies of his day, which run contrary to Christian faith. Much like Lewis's Mere Christianity, Orthodoxy is an apologetic work defending Christian theology. Chesterton's take on it is an explanation not of whether the Christian faith can be believed, but how he personally has come to believe it. He begins his chapter called The Ethics of Elfland by recalling how old men would tell him as a child to get his head out of the clouds and deal with reality, deal with politics, ponder those things instead. Chesterton claims these men are all liars. For fairy tales and similar stories help us understand the workings of our social world better than a dry recording of political events can give us. He says, It's quite easy to see why a legend is treated, and ought to be treated, more respectfully than a book of history. The legend is generally made by the majority of people in the village, who are sane. The book is generally written by the one man in the village who is mad. He goes on to decry the men of strict science who try to find ultimate meaning in simple cause and effect. He says, But the scientific men do muddle their heads until they imagine a necessary mental connection between an apple leaving a tree and an apple reaching the ground. They do really talk as if they had not found only a set of marvelous facts, but a truth connecting those facts. They do talk as if the connection of two strange things physically connected them philosophically. They feel that because one incomprehensible thing consistently follows another incomprehensible thing, the two together somehow make up a comprehensible thing. Two black riddles make a white answer. I feel that fundamental Christianity has fallen into this trap as well, Reading the Bible as a simple stream of facts as one would read information out of a newspaper. They miss out on the poetry, the fables, which we call parables in the Bible, and the fantastic stories which tell us an underlying truth about God's personality or about ours. These things become events which happened in another place and in another time to somebody else. So all that's left are God's commands, which you either follow or you don't. And if you don't follow every single one, someone is going to let you know, shouting at you as you walk down the street in your Superman costume. We miss out on the deep truths God wishes to teach us in the Bible if we forget how to read stories in a critical and literary fashion. Chesterton is keenly aware of this fact. His own understanding of the world was helped and not hindered by reading fairy tales, myths, and legends. He says... In the fairy tale, an incomprehensible happiness rests upon an incomprehensible condition. A box is opened, and all evil flies out. A word is forgotten, and cities perish. 
A lamp is lit, and love flies away. A flower is plucked, and human lives are forfeited. An apple is eaten, and the hope of God is gone. It can easily be said that there are modern myths. The fairy tales of our time are written in the comic books, and the legends of the 21st century are played out on the silver screen. Understanding these science fiction tales and fantasy stories help us get a grip on the reality we have to face every day. That person walking down the street to SDCC in the Superman costume knows full well of how Superman died, and then came back to life, fighting Doomsday in an effort to save his beloved Metropolis. The fan in the Spider-Man costume knows of the sacrifice Spidey had to make, trying to decide whether to save both his girlfriend and a streetcar full of people as a Green Goblin dropped them both off a bridge. The man in the Iron Man armor knows how Tony Stark found that selfless core in his being to save New York by guiding a bomb through a space-time portal at the end of the first Avengers movie. All of these heroes have something in them that we admire. They are willing to die in order to save others. That is a trait that we as humans have always found to be noble. Who then is nobler than Jesus Christ? He was willing to die for every single last one of us. This is a person we should dress up as, just like Lewis said we should. But Lewis was not the first to suggest this. Indeed, he says, we begin to see what it is that the New Testament is always talking about. It talks about Christians being born again. It talks about them putting on Christ, about Christ being formed in us, about us coming to have the mind of Christ. Of the many verses that Lewis alludes to here, I want to draw your attention to putting on Christ, as in Romans 13, verses 12b through 14. Let us lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery or licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, and said, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Lewis talked about us being like children of God when we say our Father. He probably got the notion from reading Paul in Galatians 3, verse 26 and 27. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Paul further encourages such spiritual cosplay when he says in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, to imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Paul is already in on the game. More proof is in Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These are some of the qualities of Jesus' personality which we acquire when his Holy Spirit lives in us, as related to us in Galatians 5, 22-25. Now, Ephesians 5, 1-2, Philippians 2, 5, the list goes on. The Bible is very clear that we should imitate Jesus. So now, to conclude, we see that for Christians, protesting is the very opposite thing that Christ has called us to do. Just like Mike said earlier, this is the most ineffective way to dialogue because of its one-sided communication. And the nonverbal posture of protesting is 
in its very nature combative and confrontational. Instead of fighting with cosplayers and other comic book fans at this year's SDCC, Christians should burn their protest signs, throw their burr horns on the bonfire, and join the cosplayers. Cosplaying as superheroes helps us to cosplay as our ultimate hero, Jesus Christ. Reading, watching, and interacting with the stories of our favorite comic book, television, and movie characters is a worthy endeavor. It is an endeavor that helps us to read and understand the story of the Bible so we can understand God's character, and then our character changes to be more like his. And this is not an endeavor we do alone. Lewis concludes his take on cosplay by revealing that it is not only we who are doing the pretending. If we try to be like Christ, putting our full faith and trust in him, then God the Father pretends that we are Jesus as well. Lewis says, God looks at you as if you were a little Christ. Christ stands beside you to turn you into one. I dare say this idea of a divine make-believe sounds rather strange at first. But is it so strange really? So in theological terms, this is the very definition of substitutionary atonement. Now, I could write another 10 pages and go on for another 20 minutes explaining this theological concept, or you can cosplay as Christ and experience it for yourself. Finally, in the pictures of protest and counter-protest signs on the websites documenting all the furor of SDCC's past, I noticed one photo of a man literally dressed like Jesus. His cosplay is excellent. He's the buddy Christ from Kevin Smith's movie Dogma. But he also looks like he stepped out of an Orthodox church icon, Halo and all. And he's pointing to a sign that says, God loves everybody. I think he gets it. Thank you for listening. Very soon, we're going to have our episode where we talk about the movie Calvary, starring Brendan Gleeson, and the TV show Blue Bloods, starring Tom Selleck. So look for that in the coming weeks. This is Robert saying, keep the faith.